Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, you'll have to excuse my uh, voice. Uh, sorry about that. It's not COVID, so don't worry. <laughs> but a uh, couple of quick things. We're gonna, first, we're going to dismiss our kids. But before we do that, I just wanted to let you guys know uh, that a brother and sister of ours, uh, Jim and Sue Poole, uh, they, they started their move out this week. Uh, out towards Wisconsin, and unfortunately, Jim uh, is very, very sick. Uh, so sick that he, they are at a hospital in Nebraska, and things are not necessarily looking good. Uh, so as we pray for our kids, I'm also going to be praying uh, for them. So, uh, Lord, we pray for our kids as they go. We pray that you would bless them and keep them and make your face shine down upon them and give them peace. Lord, we pray in Jesus' name that you would empower them to be your hands and feet in their elementary schools, in their families, um, wherever they go. And Lord, we also pray for the, the Poole family, that you would bring healing to Jim, and also that you would bring peace to Sue, and uh, that you would bring uh, your good, pleasing, and perfect will in the midst of that situation. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, uh, last summer, I was preaching at this camp and uh, they invited me to, while I was there, a, a, a group of praying people invited me to an early morning prayer service that they would put on. And uh, it was kind of an open invitation, and so I kind of decided, I don't really want, <laughs> I don't really want to wake up early. If you know anything about camp life, you know that it goes really, really late. And so the idea of waking up early to pray is just not really the first thing on your mind, but uh, it came up later again in the week. And so I felt compelled by the Holy Spirit saying, hey, you, you need to go and pray. So I woke up early, like literally like 6.30 in the morning, and we, and we went and we were praying and uh, they, they just did kind of like popcorn style prayer. Like each person prayed out loud and it came time for the woman sitting next to me to pray. And she was m much older, like 85 or 90 years old. And as she prayed, you could just tell by how she prayed that she just really loved Jesus. Like she didn't talk to him like he was something that she didn't know. She didn't, she didn't talk to him with big old fancy words. You just, have you ever met someone like that? Just somebody that just by the way they act and the way they talk, you can just tell how desperately they love Jesus. That was this lady. You know, people say that it's hard to be young in a Christian. I don't know about that. I, I, I think it is hard to be young and a Christian, but the people I have the most respect for are the elder saints, the, the people with gray hair who have walked the walk and fought the good fight for many, many years, the people who have been following Jesus for 40, 50, 60 years, and through all of life's difficulties that come upon us all, right? We all, like we all get hit, not all of us get hit with the same level of difficulties, but we all get hit with difficulties, and through all of those, they come out on the other side more loving, more kind, more looking like Jesus. Those are the people I have the most respect for, because life has just this way of Stealing those things from you. Anyway, this woman, she just loved Jesus, and she wasn't a faker either. Uh, I watched her communicate with people in food lines at camp and stuff, and she, was, she wasn't showing off just because we were at prayer meeting. Like, she was just loving and kind. The, 
It was so obvious. The fruit of her life up close to Jesus was obvious for everyone around her. I don't know if you guys are anything like me, but man, I want my life to be that way. I I so desperately want to make it to the end of my life at 119. The Bible says I can live to 120, so, you know, like maybe 119 years old. We'll see. And, And some guy look at me or some young kid look at me and be able to just see by how I live and how I talk that I really love Jesus. It's one of my major life goals. Like, I, 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 I just, I really want that. I really want that. And because it's one of my major life goals, I have, uh, I've spent a lot of time thinking and dwelling on it. And the last year or so of my life has been uh, like an incredibly difficult process of uh, desiring the fruit of the Spirit. Back in 2012, I had an encounter with the living Jesus that changed my whole life. Everything changed at that moment. And it was really easy to see the fruit of the Spirit because there was so little of the fruit of the Spirit in my life before that that like, the juxtaposition was just very obvious. But then, you, you know, you kind of get used to Jesus. And in 20, like halfway through 2020, all the way up to about two months ago or three months ago or four months ago, my life lacked the fruit of the Spirit to the extent that, like, especially in my mind, like, my mind was constantly plagued by frustration and anger and lack of peace and lack of joy. And I, it was overwhelming to me. And it got to the point where I was like, God, I I feel like I'm doing all the right stuff that I'm supposed to do to be a good Christian person and and to have the fruit of the Spirit in my life, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. I feel like I'm doing all the right stuff to have those things in my life, but where is the peace? Where's the joy? Where where did it go? And uh, interestingly enough, he had taught me this lesson all the way back when I was 20 years old, and then he had to teach it to me again. <laughs> but, uh, like, I, I, I was praying with my wife every night before bed and reading the Bible with my wife every night before bed. I was participating in our local church. I was helping lead and do ministry. Like, I was doing all the right stuff, and I'm looking at my life, and there's no fruit, and I'm like, where's the fruit, God? Where's the fruit? And uh, he reminded me, finally, after several months of praying, he reminded me of, of, of this passage in John chapter 15. So, uh, Pastor Nick actually hit on this a couple weeks ago uh, on October 16th. So if you want to, on that little insert that he pointed out to you on October 16th, that's kind of the Sunday that I'm referring back to right now. But... <clears throat> Here, what, what it says in John chapter 15 is simply this. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Abide in me, and you will bear fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And the reminder that God put on my heart was, hey, Nathan, it's a reminder to abide. 
If you want to see fruit in your life, you have to abide in me. And I said, but God, I am abiding in you. I'm, I'm reading my Bible and praying and doing all these things. And he, and he said, Nathan, you're doing the right things, but your eyes are not on me. You're not abiding in me. You're just, do, you're just doing the right stuff because it's the right stuff to do. And it was a, an important distinguishing factor because if you think about it, it's kind of like going on a date, right? And uh, you do all the right things. I take my wife on a date. I open the door, car door for her. And we go to a nice restaurant. I pull out her seat. I take her coat, you know, push the seat back in. I buy her a nice dinner. Then we go for a long walk and we hold hands, interlacing hands, you know. <laughs> like, I, I do all the right stuff. But just imagine the whole time I'm on my phone, totally distracted. My, even though I'm doing all the right things, it, it doesn't really matter because I'm not connecting with her. And I think the same thing is true in our intimacy with God. Like, our eyes have to be set on him. We have to abide. We have to abide. We have to abide. Oh my goodness, I got way off. Sorry. <laughs> You know, I've, uh, I've said this to this congregation before. We, I know other people have stood in front of you and encouraged you to have intimacy with God before. That's, it's nothing new. It's nothing uncommon. We, we've talked about this, this idea that we have to seek God. If we, if we don't root ourselves in the vine, there's no way that we're going to produce fruit. Unfortunately, knowing the right thing to do is so much different than actually doing it. We need to make this a priority. If you're not regularly spending time with Jesus, you will find it's impossible to bear fruit. And I'm not really sure why it's so hard for us as Christians to make this a priority. Because we claim, when we claim to be Christians, what we're claiming is, I'm a follower of Jesus. That's what the word Christian means. I'm a follower of Jesus. So it's kind of strange to me that we don't make time for him. I, I'm not here to, guilt, uh, to try and guilt you into it. I'm just making an observation. It just seems kind of odd, right? We, we say we follow this guy, but then we don't even know the guy we're following. Because he is alive and he is knowable, which means you can have a personal relationship with him. So if you're not investing time in your personal relationship with Jesus, it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. You know, uh, Taylor is pregnant, and uh, she's due in January. So we're very excited. Yeah. Very, very excited about all that's coming down the turnpike. Uh, but it's been interesting. It's been an interesting experience being a first-time parent because uh, it seems like everyone around us is more excited than we are. Okay. <laughs> now, don't get me wrong. Like I'm very, 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 very excited. But that excitement has a limit because I've never experienced what it's like to be a parent. Right. Um, and people started looking at me really strange when I was telling them that, geez, it seems like you're more excited than me. And I, I came up with this illustration that seems helpful. It's like a Christmas. It's like 
I, I've never celebrated Christmas, but everyone around me has celebrated Christmas. And Christmas is coming, it's just around the corner. I understand that there's like an eager anticipation, but I've never seen the presents under the tree. I've never tasted the cinnamon rolls. I've never drank the eggnog. Like I, I don't know what to expect. That's kind of what it feels like. Like I haven't ever celebrated Christmas and everyone around me has celebrated Christmas. That's what it's like in our intimacy with God. I so desperately wish that, if you ha- that I could somehow expose you to Christmas, that I could somehow expose you to intimacy with God if you haven't experienced it already. Because I'm telling you what, an intimate relationship with Jesus will radically transform your life. And all of a sudden, Christianity will begin to make sense because it's not going to be about all the religious stuff. It's going to be about knowing the king of the universe and the king of the universe is really good and worth being known. And like, it's awesome. But if you haven't tasted it, I just sound like an insane person getting really excited on a Sunday morning. <laughs> you have to taste it. Like, it's, it's not something that I can convince you into. It's something that you have to take a step of action and say, Jesus I want to make you a priority in my life. I'm going to invest time with you. And if you're new to intimacy with God, begin with just prayer and reading your Bible. It's really simple. And when you pray, nothing fancy. Just talk to him like he's your dad, because he is. And when you're reading your Bible, start some, read a Bible translation that's simple and easy to understand, like the NLT or the NIV or whatever. And uh, yeah, just start, invest, connect, and remember, when you're doing it, make sure your eyes are on him, because doing all the right stuff, and it's like going on a date, that whole illustration, make sure your eyes are on him in the midst of it. It has to be our top priority. The Christian life is incredibly meaningless without the living Jesus. You guys know it. All right. All right, when you connect with Jesus, the natural outflow of your life, even according to him, is that you're going to begin to bear fruit. But Jesus doesn't stop there. In John chapter 15, he continues to say, listen, every tree that does not, or every branch that does not produce fruit is cut off, and every branch that does produce fruit is, uh, is uh, what's the word? Pruned, thank you, is pruned so that it, it will be even more fruitful. So, as we seek to produce fruit, if we want to be Christians who produce fruit, what we have to do is we have to be willing to be pruned. Any good gardener knows that sometimes in order for a, a, a plant or a tree to produce the best fruit, you have to prune it. So, I had this obsession growing up that I wanted to grow my own food, and my parents obliged. Uh, so they let me build this garden uh, for a couple of years, and I grew pumpkins and zucchinis and all kinds of fun stuff. And then one year, we did fruit trees for Mother's Day. And I bought my mom this plum tree. I didn't buy it. My dad bought it with his money. Anyway, I bought my mom this plum tree, and we planted it. And of course, the first year, no fruit. The second year, it buds out. 
and we, it starts growing fruit at the very top of this tree. Now, of course, we live in Colorado. This tree is only two years old, so it's like a stick with like, a whole, like three or four big pieces of fruit at the top. I have vivid memories of this tree being, by the end of the summer, being totally bent over, like on the ground, una unable to support the weight of just three or four plums. And I, looking back, it would have been wise for us to prune that tree because it ended up like permanently bending that tree and then it eventually died. It would have been better to just prune that tree so that it would have produced more fruit. I think that's what Jesus is kind of trying to say. We don't like the idea that God would prune us. That is an uncomfortable thought. God, I'm doing all the right things and you're still going to cut things out of my life? Yeah. It is an uncomfortable thing. Trials and difficulties are designed by God to make us more into the people that he wants us to be. Read no further than Romans chapter 5 where he says that difficulties produce perseverance, character, and hope. In James chapter 1, he says that trials produce steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Any of you guys out there want to be lacking in nothing? I do. That means we have to rejoice in our trials. Back on October 2nd, Nick hit on this one, so you can see that. And he said that when he said, what God wants to do through you, he's got to first do in you. Pruning can take on a whole bunch of different things, looks. Uh, you can be pruned by the voice of God himself. Uh, maybe, like, as you're praying one day, he speaks to you and says, hey, there's this thing in your life that needs to get torn out. Or, maybe as you're reading through his word. I remember at the age of 18 reading the Sermon on the Mount for the first time with my own eyes, and the word of God slicing into my heart and saying, you look nothing like this. And I was like, oh man, it's true. I look nothing like this. <laughs> the word of God can prune us. Brothers and sisters can prune us. I've been in a season of wise brothers and sisters coming up to me and being like, hey bro, this is something that you probably need to cut out of your life. And it's been incredibly painful. Um, difficult situations in life. God uses all of these as ways to prune us. If we're willing to pursue Jesus in the midst of the pruning, these things will end up being very good. If we're unwilling to seek Jesus in the midst of the pruning and our attitude becomes, why me, God, instead of what are you up to in the midst of this, God, the pruning ends up Unfortunately, it ends up stunting our growth. The, the way through the pruning process is to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus and to keep your heart open to what he is trying to accomplish in your life. The, alter, the, the alternative is, is just to be paralyzed. I have recently been in the midst of one of the most painful pruning processes of my life. I can't remember a more painful process than this since I first went all in for Jesus in 2012. Like, it's been, oh, it's been painful because the pruning that God is doing in my life right now is 
uh, it, it centers on my identity and my calling and who I am as a person and the way that I communicate. And man, he is, he, like a skilled surgeon, he has been going into my heart and he says, I know the thoughts and intentions of your heart, Nathan, and they're not good and I'm going to cut it out. Oh, I mean, I've had, I've had, I'm not a crier, but I've had tearful moments of like surrender to Jesus in the last few months. Like, it has been really hard. But it's also so good. I can confidently say that I think I'll produce more fruit now than I did before because God has brought these unhealthy things in me to my attention. And he's begun the process of cutting them out of my life. I can confidently say that I'm glad that he did it. When James says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, they may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. When he says that, count it all joy, I'm like, why would anybody count that as joy? But now I understand why people count it as joy. Because it's like God is doing something in my life that's amazing. And I'm better for it. Anyway, so if we want to bear fruit, first you've got to abide in the vine. Don't forget that. If you're not abiding in the vine, you're not going to produce fruit. It's as simple as that. Second, you've got to open yourself up to pruning. And this will automatically happen. The more you seek Jesus in intimacy, the more he's going to hold you accountable. The times I've been the most held accountable by the Lord are the times that I'm the closest to him. It's just going to happen naturally. The closer you get, the more he's going to hold you accountable. The third thing is you got to be willing to take action. At the end of Jesus' famous message, the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, he says, at the end of that, he says, anyone who hears these words of mine and does them is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The storm comes, beats against the house, and the house stands. But anyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't do them is like an unwise man, a foolish man, who builds his house on the sand. The storms come, beat against the house, and the house crumbles. Here's what I find. Oops. <laughs> we have to take action. Now, I understand that we're all Protestants here, most of us are Protestants here, so when we hear the words take action in the context of our relationship with God, sometimes we get off on this dog and pony show about how it's a workspace gospel and blah, 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 blah. And before that dog and pony show takes off, I just want to address it here. You are saved by grace, not by works, so that no one can boast. Also... God calls you as already saved people who are saved by grace to do good works. It's very clear. The very famous passage in Ephesians chapter 2, for you have been saved by grace, not by works, uh, through faith, so that no one can boast, that very famous verse. The next line is to do the good works prepared in advance for you to do. James says the same thing. Faith without works is dead. So if you say you have faith but do not have works... That's a big problem. We are called to work. Biblically, 
A Christianity devoid of works would be, not the, would be not biblical. True biblical Christianity includes works. Biblical salvation, no works. Biblical Christianity, yes, works. Uh, you know, you may have heard people talk about the 18-inch journey that something has to take to get from your head to your heart. Where, and preachers talk about this in the context of, we, want to, we don't want to just have a bunch of head knowledge about Jesus, we want, to, we want to believe those things, right? So we, this journey, from the 18-inch journey from your head to your heart. What I find striking is how few people talk about the 24 or 48-inch journey from your heart to your hand, or from your hand to your foot, or from your heart to your foot, or from your heart to your mouth. We want people to internalize what they believe. But that's not the end of biblical Christianity. The end of biblical Christianity is externalizing what you believe. If you believe something and then don't do anything about it, then you don't really believe it. It's kind of as simple as that. Uh, I believe that there's so much truth in the idea that Fruit automatically comes when your life is up close to Jesus. There's a lot of truth in that. But there's even more truth to be had in that if you're willing to engage the process, if you're willing to take action, you will see even more fruit in your life. And Pastor Nick hit on this uh, two weeks ago on 11.6 on when he said, take action in your unique gift set. Use the gifts that God has given you to do this. <clears throat> it makes perfect sense that having a fruitful life would require you taking action in some, of some, in some way. I suspect that it would be really hard to actually love somebody if you were never willing to serve them or help them in a time of need or at the very least, verbalize your love for them. It would be very difficult to love without action. It would be very, very difficult. If we're going to be Christians who produce fruit, we have to be willing to take action. We cannot just be hearers of the word and not also doers. So, in James, he says... If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. Okay, so that's a weird Bible language, right? So picture it like this. You're looking at yourself in a mirror. You're studying your face, right? Study, like, almost like you're trying to like, like make a portrait or something of yourself. You're studying your face. But as soon as you look away from the mirror, you forget what you look like. What kind of person is that? It's an insane person. An insane, crazy person studies themselves in a mirror and looks away and forgets what they look like. I don't know what I look like. That's what it is to, to read the Word of God and then to, to do nothing about it. You're looking, at, you're looking at God's Word and you're reading it and you're understanding it and then you do nothing. It's an, insane, it's an insane response. It doesn't even make any sense. In the Old Testament, 
the word for hear is also the same word for obey. So there was no like, <laughs> when we were growing up, my dad would be like, did you hear me? When we disobeyed him in some way or another, we didn't do what we, he asked us to do. Did you hear me? It's kind of the same in my house, I guess. To hear and to obey, were the, uh, they're the same word. It's famous in, the, in this prayer called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. When ancient Israel heard the word hear, they didn't just hear the word listen, they heard the word obey. Hear and obey. So if you're reading God's word and you're understanding it and then you're not obeying it, 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 it's, a, it's an anti-biblical concept. We have to be people who are willing to take action. We must take action. So I want to take just a moment here. We have plenty of time. I want to take just a moment, and I want to invite you to just think about your own life. Are you producing fruit? This, this might look like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This might look like you being incredibly kind to somebody who doesn't deserve it. This might look like generosity. This might look like um, obedience to any, any of Jesus' commands, are you producing fruit? The way that you treat your children, the way that you treat your spouse, the way that you treat the person on the phone, uh, the, the customer service representative, the way that you like, treat the, the person in the checkout line, the way you treat the barista, what is, uh, just think about it, what is the fruit of your life? When those people, when people around you look at you, who is it that they are seeing? Are they seeing Jesus in any of your actions? Some, few, most of your actions? Just consider it for a moment. If you're not seeing the fruit of the Spirit in your life, if you're not seeing the fruit of a life up close to Jesus in your life right now, do you want to? And if you want to, do you know how? I'm hoping that you do know how. It begins with intimacy with him. If you want to see the fruit of the Spirit in your life, you have to spend time with Jesus. It's interesting, the closer you get to Jesus, the more your heart beats like his heart beats. And the more your words become like his words. And the more your hands do what his hands would have done. It's crazy, but it's true. You, we become patterned after Jesus the more time we spend with him. Open yourself up to pruning. 
open yourself up to those things. Open yourself up to doing the hard work. Here's the thing. <clears throat> Don't start with the fruit and then work backwards. Fake fruit is really easy to find and to see. We have all seen fake fruit. You can see fake fruit in the lives of other people very, very easily. Start, do the hard work of investing in your relationship with Jesus. Do the hard work of allowing him to prune you and cut different things out of you. Do the hard work of taking action and see the fruit that comes from your life. It can't go the other way. Don't start with the fruit and like try to figure out your way back the other way. That would probably be, you would probably be tempting of workspace gospel in that case. This is not a fake it till you make it kind of thing. This is a stop faking it and start investing kind of thing. So, if you're excited to get after it, which I know that many of us are already after it, so this is not an indictment or anything, but if you're excited to get after it, just do it. You know, make like Nike and just do it. <laughs> I, 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 sometimes I feel like we, we, we get our five-step programs and blah, blah, blah in Christianity and I have my three-point sermon for you and, or whoever has their three-point sermon for you and we, we come on a Sunday morning and it's like, oh, I feel so inspired or I feel so entertained or I'm, you know, I had so much fun listening to that guy talk or blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, Okay, that's fine. I, I have nothing technically against any of that, but if, if you're not going to do anything in your life about it, then, then we're really, <clears throat> and I don't mean this in any kind of harsh way, we're just really wasting our time here together if we're not going to put the Word of God into practice. Yeah, I mean, it's just, like, we really, like, just to be open and frank and honest with us, like, let us not be lazy Christians who don't actually do what Jesus told us to do. It doesn't make any sense at all. And uh, I desire to, to urge you and, and, and help you to know that th this, this relationship with God is, is so profound and so amazing that, oh man, there's just nothing like it in all of the created universe. It's just so, so, so. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness and your goodness to us. Lord, we pray that you would drive us into intimacy with you. That you would allow us to get closer to you. That your words would transform us from the inside out. Lord, that we would stop being hearers only and actually do something. Lord, I pray that we would bear abundant fruit, revealing you to the world around us. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.